This is your Cambridge 105 Radio. The Pretenders and Stand By You on Cambridge 105 Radio. It is five minutes after five. Good evening, I'm Matt Webb. It's been 70 years since this country and the rest of the world mourn the death of a British monarch. Today we witness scenes many of us haven't seen in our lifetimes as the state funeral of Queen Elizabeth II took place. To reflect on today, I'm joined by historian and senior lecturer at Anglia Ruskin University, Dr Sean Lang. Hello Sean, a very sombre day indeed. A very sombre, yes, but sort of impressive as well, because this was, you know, as we often say, you know, ceremony is something that we do very well in this country, and and it's true because uh, because it's taken seriously and it's rehearsed properly and it's planned properly, and that's necessary because ritual is a way in which people can channel their feelings, their grief, their worries, uh, all of the, the that goes into a big emotional moment like this, and ritual can sort of provide a, a sort of stability uh, and I suppose a sort of sort of comfort so i thought i thought it's been a very poignant day um and lo- lots of sort of moments like right at the end and the as they co- at the committal as the wand was broken as the uh, the uh, symbols of majesty were taken off the coffin and you really feel yes this is it this is the end of the elizabethan era in a very very poignant very meaningful but very very beautifully done I was going to say that the fact that the imperial state crown, the orb and the scepter placed on top were removed from the coffin, to me, that's probably one of the most poignant moments of the day. Yes, because then, I mean, you you absolutely know, you see, this is it, she is she's gone she's no longer the queen and the next time we see those um being used in public will be at the coronation of king charles and and he will wear them and that is something as you said at the beginning you know none of us has seen well very few of us you know those who are old enough will have done but no one has seen anyone else wearing them anyone else carrying them and carrying what they mean a very powerful service earlier today as well. We heard uh, various um, uh, statement speeches from different people inside uh, the chapel earlier today. Liz Truss, the, the Prime Minister, obviously speaking as well, the Archbishop of Canterbury. What struck you most about some of the uh, sermons and, and the speeches that you heard? Well, I thought the reading by Baroness Scotland, who is the Secretary General of the Commonwealth, and she had a long reading. Liz Truss's one was uh, was was quite short, um, and that was I thought that was quite interesting and significant because to give such a prominent role to the, uh, the Secretary General of the Commonwealth is very much a message. And indeed, the King was meeting Commonwealth um, sort of representatives right at the start, even before he'd met MPs, and it's a sign, of course, that reflects the importance that the Queen gave to the Commonwealth uh, every bit as much, I suppose, as to the United Kingdom. And that carried through to her funeral, which I think was very fitting. So I, I thought that was a moment that, that particularly struck me. But also, I have to say, the absolute professionalism of all the armed servicemen, uh, of the service personnel, sorry, who were there. Uh, I feel particularly for the, uh, uh, the the party, you know, the pallbearers, um, but also the naval personnel who were, who were carrying the uh, the actual gun carriage or, you know, pulling the, the gun carriage. An absolute perfection in the way that you know the Queen would have appreciated, noticed and understood. I was going to say, actually, uh, going back and watching those pictures again, as I did before I came on the air this afternoon, it amazed me how everything went like clockwork, as you said, and obviously the preparations that had to go in place to make sure that all happened. You can practice these things, but when you're in front of a world stage, you have to get it right. You get one <laughs> opportunity, don't you? 
You very much do. And of course, any single slip, particularly the age of uh, you know, memes and things going viral and what have you, uh, it would never, ever be forgotten. Uh, so I think that just adds to the pressure. Um, I must admit, they were have been conscious of the pressure on them, no question, but they didn't really show it. Uh, to tremendous sort of poise, and I'm talking here both about the you know the service personnel, the the choirs, um, every minister who was speaking and uh, who who was who was preaching. Um, it really was done with with a precision um, and triumphant would would be my word to describe it. I thought it it went off triumphantly. I thought uh, it really was, as as I said earlier, it's it's a sign of taking these things seriously they're not just colorful things for tourists or for the television they have a meaning and i think all of those who were are involved have a very strong sense of the meaning of their particular part of the whole process the whole ceremony the whole ritual um and and that i think is what gives it its particular power that it's full of meaning and those taking part know what that meaning is i was going to touch upon the the procession uh, as it led up to uh, at the chapel um so many people taking pictures and taking photos on their phones back when King George the Sixth passed away, that, that, that was that was all, <laughs> that wasn't even thought about, was it? I mean, it, the, the opportunity for so many people to line the streets. What, what parallels did you see with with that funeral and, and this one? Well, one of the things that they had back in the 50s were periscopes. Um, and if you sort of look at some of the photographs of the crowd, particularly for the coronation, there's a whole sort of crowd of uh, sort of long uh, cardboard tubes and they have a mirror up at the top and a mirror at the bottom. And you look in the bottom and you say, so, so it enables you to see over the heads of the people in front. Um, and, but I suppose you can see the back of someone else's periscope. Um, I mean, every age is different. Every age has, has its own particular take. But... You know, people are taking, you know, took photos and we have the capacity, of course, to get not just a photograph very quickly, of course, of the phone, but but video. And I d I've seen one or two people sort of, you know, sounding a bit iffy about this, but... I've seen some of the footage that people have posted. Say, for example, a couple of people I know were managed to see um, the Queen's the, 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 uh, body being taken down from Scotland. And actually, that's surprisingly meaningful that you put it on social media but others can then share in the moment that you were lucky enough to have so I, I don't think it's it's something to, to worry about I think this you know each age will use the technology that it's got but the the aim the end product if you like is the same which is to preserve the memory of this very special occasion and it's because it's special that people want to preserve that memory and looking back at the procession itself obviously the queen going past the cenotaph that was unveiled by her grandfather king uh, king george v in in 1920 that was a very powerful moment i thought Yes, it's particularly when you saw all those who were in uniform and able to do so who saluted the Cenotaph as they went past. And it's just a reminder of, A, what the Cenotaph means, but of course the spectacle that we've seen so often of the Queen leading the nation in remembrance in, in each November, laying her wreath, um, the first one and the one which stands up against the, against the Cenotaph. Now we know how much all of that meant to her. And the, you know, it was poignant as it went past and it was marked. It was very important that it should be marked. And the other very poignant moment, I thought, was when the procession went past Buckingham Palace and, of course, the word being past it, not into it. Uh, and then, you know, you, you really did 
uh, well, it was a sort of reminder, if you like, that of course she had, her body had sort of left Buckingham Palace and was not going back there. And yeah, that too, really quite a, a moving moment. And it's one of those, the moving moments are the ones when it's just brought home to you exactly what has happened, what has changed, and you know, what you will never see again. And of course, the big Ben bells ringing out through the Queen Elizabeth Tower, that was quite poignant, wasn't it? Yes, it's, it's so often the way, something which is very simple, but that is what is so effective. So to have one bell just tolling, slowly, like that, but regularly, um, you know, it's, it's not very complex, there's nothing uh, very clever or anything like that, but it speaks, doesn't it? It it's just gives you that sense of, uh, of mourning, gives you that sense of solemnity. Um, and, and in fact, so many of the um, the features, I think, ever since uh, a week ago on Thursday, you know, since the news was announced of the Queen's death, have been very simple but effective. I mean, I, I also found, and it, it happened again today, just the aerial shot of a cortege moving along the road. I found I sort of thought as they were coming down from Balmoral towards Edinburgh, um, and you had those aerial that aerial footage just of the cars, and then again today of the um, the hearse and just you know with its with its escort, just going slowly through the, the countryside, the Scottish countryside and the English countryside, you know. It's a simple thing, but something about it, it's in its simplicity, brought home just the full poignancy of, of what has happened. So the bells, the, the cortege, um, even without the ceremony, there's something very, very powerful about these images. And the whole ceremony was, I thought, immaculately planned to make use of the simple as well as the grand. And it's that balance which I think is really what makes for successful pageantry rather than just a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, sort of colour and, uh, and, and noise without any meaning. So it's, it's beautifully thought through. I was going to say, obviously, 2,000 people, dignitaries and guests, were in Westminster Abbey for the, for the funeral. And a very rare opportunity to actually hear the full rendition of the national anthem. We normally hear shorter versions at sporting events, but actually hearing it all the way through, I thought, was quite, quite special, actually. Actually, Matt, even that wasn't the full version. Was it not? Because there are, I think, four or maybe five verses. But, uh, yeah, so you've got two verses there, which is as much as uh, people normally get. The reason you don't often hear the third and fourth is because the uh, the word dates from the 18th century, and that was a time, uh, the reason it sort of says, God, um, God save the king, um, is because there was a danger. And a lot of the danger was coming from Scotland. This is the time of Prince Charlie and the Jacobites. So when you get to some of the later verses, you hear some things which you wouldn't want to sort of sing nowadays about sort of scheming Scots and things like that. <laughs> so you don't not to sing those songs. Um, but yeah, those verses. But yes, the first verse, which I think is pretty widely known, and then that second one, um, which is very interesting because it says, may, used to be she, may he, defend our laws and ever give us cause to sing with heart and voice, God save the king. And what that is saying is that the king's duty, the monarch's duty, is to defend our laws made in Parliament. And as long as the monarch does that, then we shall sing. We will have good cause to sing God Save the King. If, in a strange way, it's a little bit of a, just a, a little warning note to the monarch, which is to say, you know, you're a constitutional monarch, and, uh, and so your sovereignty is with Parliament. So that second verse, very uh, interesting little statement of the way the British system works, the crown in Parliament and, uh, and and neither the one without the other. Uh, so yes, it's, it, it was interesting to hear it and uh, and perhaps we ought to hear it a little bit more often but I suppose that's asking too much and certainly not the third and fourth. 
And we saw, obviously, all of the members of the royal family around the coffin in uh, in Westminster Abbey earlier today. Um, it was very, very poignant that, I, that so many people were there and it was a very special moment. But I didn't know this until I looked it up, but apparently Princess Alexandra is now the oldest female member of the royal family. Is that right? Uh, I suppose she must be. Yes, sort of think, thinking back. Um, I always think of her as a relatively uh, young woman, but then I, <laughs> I'm thinking back to when the Queen was also sort of in her prime. Um, we, I used to see Princess Alexandra a little bit because she lived in Richmond Park, which is that rather you know, very large park uh, sort of in southwest London, which is the area where I grew up, and, and uh, she had a, a lodge there. So yes, I think that's probably right. But the other thing which was very interesting and significant, I thought, was the presence of Prince George and Princess Charlotte um, in, in the procession, um, you know, the, the short bit of going into the Abbey, because um, on the one hand, it's, it's obviously it's nice for them to join their parents, and it's nice for them to be there for their great grandmother's funeral, and it does give a memory that uh, that they will carry with them. Um, but it's also um, a sort of message because we've heard a lot of talk about the royal family being sort of slimmed down and kept to the direct line to the throne. So you have the king, you have the Prince of Wales who is next in line, Prince George of course is third in line. And since the rules were changed and uh, so women can, um, uh, you know, aren't uh, passed over, um, so Pr Princess Charlotte is the fourth in line, the next in line. So you actually you had the line of succession there, a sort of statement of continuity and I suppose of um, you know so looking to the future uh, and, and confidence in the future of the monarchy so it's it did two things at the same time so yes the presence of the royal family and so many of them gathered um, was obviously uh, very very touching but there's a, a, a there's a message in there as well and of course King Charles said earlier on in the week that he wanted to continue the work that his his mother had had carried on basically um, do you think um, the reign under King Charles III is going to be very different to Queen Elizabeth II Second, what, what can you predict happening? Um, I'm a historian. We try to avoid predictions <laughs> because we always get proved wrong. But I think there will be changes, um, not least because they have to be. Uh, the monarchy um, survives because it changes, and it changes while appearing to keep uh, you know, so many things lo looking the same. Um, so. There will be things like, for example, the changing um, nature and role uh, in the Commonwealth. Uh, that's bound to continue to change. The Union as well, um, which King Charles clearly sees as a priority, which is why, I, I assume it's why um, he visited all the different um, uh, countries within the Union um, in, in his first days. Um, so there will be changes and the, cha and the role of the monarch will undoubtedly evolve and a, probably a sort of change of style. There was a lot of modern, modernising that went on under Elizabeth II um, but that will need to continue and probably I would have thought with a lot of guidance from the Queen Consort and I very much expect um, from the Prince of Wales um, because there are many people who feel a strong feeling uh, towards, you know, a warm feeling towards the monarchy, but not everyone. Um, and uh, I think a lot of young people will want to see that this is a monarchy which makes sense to them. And uh, since the, uh, as prince, the, the king um, did way back in 1977, set up the Prince's Trust for young people. He's done a lot of work in that field. And I think that is an area where um, I, I'm sure his instincts will say that you, you need, to, as it were, to present. If you almost sell yourself um, so that you carry 
the nation with you or if you like the nation carries you with you into the future so yes indeed that will require um, a continual process of change of tone of emphasis and of direction and you touched upon the prince and princess of wales there they were formerly known as uh, the duke and duchess of cambridge do they keep both titles i often get asked this question and it's not really something i can answer and i'm sure you probably can do they still keep their duke and duchess of cambridge's titles as well or what happens They're there doing they do indeed, uh, until such time as it's as it's changed, and, and you know it can pass to someone else, as of course the Prince of Wales title did. But it's quite normal for um, for very you know high up people like that to have more than one title. Indeed, um, you know they have titles uh, in England and different titles in Scotland and different titles in Wales and indeed in Northern Ireland. So they have a little sort of portmanteau of titles already. It's just that we you know have, tend, have tended always to refer to them as the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge and you know and the Cambridges. Um, but yes, they retain that, that title. Um, there are titles which sort of are empty and going spare. An obvious one, I suppose, is the Dukedom of Edinburgh, uh, since Prince Philip died. And I've seen some uh, comment in the press suggesting that that might be offered to Prince Edward if, uh, if he just, you know, chooses to, to have it. Um, so there's a certain amount of sharing round of titles, particularly if you do sort of move up the hierarchy. But as things stand, um, they remain the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, although they'll be referred to as the Duke and Duchess of, uh, sorry, the Prince and Princess of Wales. And uh, I hope that that very nice link that they developed with Cambridge with their, with their visits and, uh, and his, his work in, in East Anglia will continue. Um, but I guess they, they'll, we'll have to see. I was about to say, of course, they visited Cambridge. It was one of their very first visits after they got married, wasn't it? It was indeed, yes. Uh, many people will remember seeing them around the marketplace and uh, on the Guildhall balcony. Um, and I think they did take that uh, seriously, you know, that they've been given this title. And Cambridge is obviously a, a prestigious place, a very important place to be linked with. Um, I don't know if everyone realises, but Prince William actually did study, um, uh, I think, for a term or so at Cambridge. Obviously, his uh, father, the, the king, was uh, a student and did a degree at Cambridge, mm. as indeed did Prince. Edward. Incidentally, um, the King is, I think I might have saying, the first university graduate to be monarch uh, of, of the United Kingdom, or indeed, indeed in, in our history, and of course he's a Cambridge graduate. Really, um, really so interesting to I, know. I have no doubt that the very close links between Cambridge and the region with uh, the royal family will continue. They've been very strong so far and there's every reason to think they'll, they'll be strong in the future. So the committal of Queen Elizabeth II um, got underway in the last hour. It's, uh, it's just concluding now. Um, any things that stood out from, from, from you from that service? Um, this is a different sort of service from the Westminster one. This is much more uh, close, it's intimate, it's family, friends, household. Uh, as a matter of fact, including my brother-in-law, who, who uh, was actually very visible on the screen at one point, uh, who, who works at uh, Buckingham Palace. Um, and these are people, of course, who work with the royal family and therefore know them uh, on a daily basis uh, to a much greater degree than, than you know, most, most people do, even if they have dealings with, uh, with, with the, the, the monarch or others. And um, so it, it, the building itself sort of lends itself also to a sort of closer feel because, as, uh, as I was saying this morning, um, the Queen has been coming home. Windsor is very much uh, the, the place that she thinks of as, or thought of as home. Um, 
and in a sense it's almost like a, a funnel in what i mean is that the london service the westminster service has all the dignitaries and so on that's the sort of top end and then you gradually get narrower and narrower as you come towards home until uh, at the committal as the coffin is lowered into the vault of course she's rejoining prince philip rejoining her husband so there's a sense in which it's sort of come right down into the most intimate of all um to, to see that re uh, you know um reuniting of the married couple married of course um in 1947 in um uh, Westminster Abbey so there's a very strong sense I think of everything coming full circle really very rather rather beautifully I was listening to uh, another radio station on the drive-in and uh, they were talking about a very interesting fact about how the Windsor's names actually came about and I think it was due to the fact it happened just after the war is that right uh, this is during the First World War. Um, oh, oh, well, it depends if you mean the um, Windsor uh, Mountbatten or Mountbatten Windsor or the actual Windsor title itself. Because um, Queen Victoria, uh, when, uh, and indeed her, her sort of, um, branch of the family were German. And indeed spoke German very fluently. And they were the house of Saxe-Coburg-Gotha, which Saxe-Coburg, these are all places in Germany. Um, this didn't matter at all. In fact, there was a lot of very good feeling towards Germans and Germany uh, until the First World War, when it changed rather. And there was a very strong sense um, during the war, uh, I mean, it sounds a bit incredible, but it was it was there, that people were sort of saying, well, are the royal family really on our side, given that they are basically German, aren't they? And just to make it worse, um, there was a bombing campaign uh, for, with, with aircraft, which was just starting the first sort of aerial bombing, um, on London and one or two other British places. And it was the name of the bomber was the Agota bomber. Um, so it's rather as if, you know, the, uh, later on, the royal family being called, I don't know, Messerschmitt or something. Um, so the decision was taken that it would be important to change the name, and they chose Windsor, um, which was uh, a title which I think had been in use in the Middle Ages but hadn't been used since, um, as, as, as the family name. Later on in the Queen's reign, um, Prince Philip, whose uh, surname was Mountbatten, was unhappy that uh, his children weren't going to c carry his name um, rather they were carrying the Windsor name which of course was the name of his wife and normally it would be the father's name and eventually a compromise was was reached whereby they would be called Mountbatten Windsor which I, it, which is strictly speaking their surname today but the Windsor link goes back to the First World War and that fear of appearing to be too German at a time when that was rather sensitive. Listening to Cambridge 105 Radio across the city and South Cambridgeshire. And I'm pleased to say I'm still joined by historian and senior lecturer at Anglia Ruskin University, Dr. Sean Lang. So, Sean, I was telling you a bit about some, some facts about Princess Alexandra earlier. I've also found out this out, which is rather interesting. Princess Alexandra is one of only two surviving bridesmaids from the Queen's wedding. Oh, good heavens, yes. Well, uh, that I didn't know. Um, and that really is taking us back. And I think actually in there is one of the reasons why this is such a watershed moment, this funeral, because the Queen is of that wartime generation and there aren't many of them left. Um, and she's represented as a sort of continuity from that age. Um, uh, I mean, many people who, you know, her, her contemporaries obviously um, uh, were from the war, but she often made use of that, right up to that uh, broadcast during Covid, when she sort of referenced and channeled Vera Lynn, um, and, and then she also had the VE Day um, celebrations to, uh, which was a sort of happy coincidence. And I think, yes, all of those memories that take you back to the 1940s, um, you know, there's a sort of poignancy, but there's also a sense in that that long period, that long sort of post-war period is finally 
coming to an end and we're beginning to move on from it. Um, so, yes, I, I didn't know that particular detail, but uh, the sort of wider significance, I think, takes us back to that, the 1940s and everything that that means to us. So, as I said in the news, the Queen's Coffin has been lowered into the Royal Vault at St George's Chapel in Windsor and, of course, there's a private burial service happening later on. What can we expect to happen in that? Obviously, it is private. Uh, what do you expect to happen? Um, well, <laughs> yes, as you say, they, they didn't fill me in. Um, but as the main thing that we were told is that the, uh, the the coffin of Prince Philip will be brought through so that the, the two do lie, to, lie together. Uh, and I think that's the main point. There'll be further uh, there'll be further prayers, but fairly short, f- intimate, simple. Um, that's that's what I would fully expect. And just to wrap up today, um, it's been very poignant. It's been a, a, a very powerful day. Um, what's what's your final thoughts on on what we've seen on our television screens, which we probably won't see for a very long time again? I think what we've seen today and these last few days with the lying in state, I think, has been. Uh, Everyone's showing an awareness that maybe they've discovered, maybe they always did have, of the service that she has given. And overwhelmingly, it seems to me, that uh, she sort of generated goodwill. And I think that's what I've, I've picked up today. Uh, and indeed, um, in all the whole period since, since she died, goodwill, even from people you know, who've had their differences with the monarchy or with this country in the past. And I think if uh, any of us can go having generated goodwill on all sides, then I think that's a pretty powerful testament. And that's the way I, I would see it. Well, Dr. Sean Lang, thank you very much for joining me today on Cambridge 105 Radio. It's been fascinating talking to you and it's been, a, as I say, a very powerful day. And uh, I know you've got a very, very busy evening talking to other media <laughs> outlets this evening, so I'm going to let you go now. Uh, that's uh, Dr. Sean Lang, uh, Senior Lecturer at Anglia Ruskin University and also a historian. Thank you very much for joining me this evening. Grand. Thank you very much.